All right. Well, I'm really excited about today. We are beginning a new series, and I believe it will be a series full of hope and full of opportunity for every one of us to look up to heaven and say, Lord, what do you want to do with my life from here? Um, I believe that in, in this room right here, we have the, the power to change the whole world. You look out at the world's power structures and it feels a little bit hopeless sometimes if you view it from a human point of view. So whether you're thinking about the, 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 the tsunami of cultural negatives that seem to come, out, come at us and wash over us on a constant basis, maybe you're fighting battles in your household or at your workplace or in your school that you feel like there's just, all I can do is just kind of hold the line, and even that, I feel like I might fail eventually. Um, there is amazing power that was unlocked by Jesus in the resurrection and now is available to you and I. So from Easter, we talked about that power last week and how Jesus defeated our greatest enemy, death, and that that not only is about our eternity, but it's about this life here and now being completely transformed and rearranged by, by him. What we're going to study next is essentially what happened next. After Jesus rose from the dead, what happened? The book of Acts is the story of what happened in the first 30 years of the Christian experience, the Christian movement. Uh, once the power of the Holy Spirit was made available to average people like you and me, everything about the world changed. And here's why I'm convinced that we should be very hopeful, even as we look at our world and we could say there's lots of trend lines going in the wrong direction on multiple fronts. That was the case in the first century as well. In fact, you could make a pretty strong case, I think, that things were way worse in the first century than they are right now, and that there were far fewer people in that moment who believed in Jesus or had any kind of desire to follow him than there are right now. In fact, in this room, there are more people who are dedicated to following Jesus than there were standing around the cross when he died. Just in this room, uh, there is the power that's that potentially could change the whole world. I think about the, uh, the very beginning of the early church, and there are different numbers associated with how many people were faithful Jesus followers. There are many people who knew of Jesus, maybe some who were impressed with his teachings. Or, but as far as, the, as everything unfolded, as Jesus died and was buried and was rose again, um, you, you, you come up with a couple different numbers that would certainly be less than a few thousand at one point, there were just 120 gathered together. And you think those, those little seeds of those people, they went up against the most powerful empire of the world at that time. They literally changed world history. And you and I have access to the same power that they were tapping into. So when we read the book of Acts, I want us to go through this study not as history, the stories that someone else experienced, but this is our story. We're just reading the first few chapters of a story that's still being written, and you're in it as well. So we'll get to spend a lot of time together over the next number of months walking through the adventures that are attached to that story, but we're not learning them just so that we can know what happened in the past. 
We're actually learning them so that we can know what is possible today and what could happen in your life if you say yes to God. All right, so that's where we're going to begin. And I'd encourage you to turn in the Bible to Acts chapter 1. Over the course of this series, we'll read every verse in the whole book of Acts. So it'll take us a little while. We're not going to be in any hurry. Um, And what we'll find here is a lot of encouragement. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father has... The Father alone has the authority to set those times and dates. They are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, and someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Now this is the inauguration of a new era. Right? You could look at the gospel era, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the, the storyline of Jesus, and you could say that was an amazing season of history when God himself walked among us and taught us the way and became our way. But now when Jesus leaves the scene and gives the power of the Holy Spirit to his disciples, everything is about to change now on a different scale than what was possible in the gospels. In fact, Jesus said to his disciples, who had no idea what he meant, you, they had seen a miracle and they were impressed, and he said, I tell you the truth, you will do even greater things than these. Not necessarily greater in that they were somehow qualitatively better than what Jesus would do, but greater in the sense that they are far more wide-reaching. That when Jesus came, he only impacted a few people in one region, what the disciples were about to do all those who would believe in Jesus and then those who would believe in Jesus after them. And as that network would begin, what they were about to do was essentially spread good news and transformational power and healing power everywhere on earth to the point where here we are, 2,000 years later, thousands of miles away from this location, worshiping Jesus, praying to Jesus, carrying the torch of faith forward. Uh, Jesus unleashed something here that's really exciting. So as we think about Acts, we'll do a little bit of background today, and then I want to give you, I want to essentially make a case for why in these first few verses, 
we're not just looking for the adventures of days gone by. We're actually looking for our next step. Okay, but here's a little background. Uh, Acts was written by Luke, a Christian doctor who is personally involved in the early church. We'll hear from Luke in first person later in the story. And the reason for that is Luke is reporting in part what was passed on to him, but in part he's reporting some of his own experiences as he traveled with Paul and a few of the other key leaders of the time. So Luke obviously wrote what other book of the Bible? Luke, okay, that's not rocket science. Luke is, Luke is part one, Acts is part two. Some people even look at the end of Acts and say, you know, it seems like, at least in Luke's mind, he might have been willing to keep writing. If he would have lived longer or if things would have happened a certain way, maybe he would want, maybe it would have been Acts 3 out there or something. Uh, but for now, we know this was written by Luke, and he, he had some firsthand experience. He wasn't just writing off of the reports of others. Okay, he wrote this in 62 AD, likely during Paul's house arrest in Rome. And we know that because of where the story ends. So, you, you, you know, if you're thinking you're writing a history book, you write up until the present day, and then, you know, you can't really project forward, so you, you stop. And that's where in Acts 28, we see that the Apostle Paul is under house arrest for a couple of years, and he's boldly sharing his faith. So it was written before Paul was martyred uh, in Rome, but everything in between, the resurrection of Jesus and 62 AD, we have at least part of the story, written down for us in the book of Acts. This book is addressed to Theophilus. Okay, you probably noticed that when we read verse 1. Likely a government official inquiring about the rapid growth of Christianity. So if you think about what was happening in this moment, uh, Paul was under arrest, and so the official governance, kind of the elitists of Rome, they're all curious about Christianity. Some of them are perceiving it as a threat, uh, and so they're thinking this is almost like a... Jewish rebellion that we need to put down. Others are seeing it as maybe an opportunity. Uh, some are just curious because they heard about the miracle worker from Galilee years ago, and now they realize his followers are multiplying all across the Roman Empire. And so there's, there's a lot of curiosity about what this is really about. So some people, knowing that Luke traveled with Paul, say while Paul was on house arrest, this is actually Luke writing the Gospel of Luke and then the book of Acts as part of the defense, as part of the explanation to official Rome of what's going on. Because you know, they didn't have social media, they didn't have news outlets, so all they would have heard would have been you know, third-hand reports from of all, this, all this movement happening out there. And Luke is saying, you know what, uh, I've got training, I've got credentials, I'm, I'm a trusted voice, I'll go ahead and do some research. I'll write this down. And so in the book of Luke, he talks about the fact that he pulled from many reliable witnesses. He looked at the sources. And then here in the book of Acts, he did that. And then he pulled in some of his own experience being a follower of Jesus as well. So when we read Luke and Acts, we actually get a fairly detailed and chronological account of what happened. Now, one of the things that I wish wasn't the case, but it is, is that as much as we're curious about all the different storylines that happened that kind of sprung out from the resurrection, in, in the book of Acts, we start with the church in Jerusalem, and then the storyline kind of tracks along with the Apostle Paul, and ultimately Acts 28 concludes saying here's where Paul ended up. But you say, wait a minute, there were other apostles, right? There were other key leaders that went in other directions, and there aren't books of the Bible dedicated to them. And so you could look at Matthew, or you could look at John, or 
Um, you could look at the Apostle Thomas, who traveled all the way to the south part of India before he was martyred for his faith. Uh, the apostles started spreading across the known world, and if you did have the ability to go back and read reports, you would probably find something that sounds a little bit like the book of Acts, tracking along with each stream of Christian experience as it all launched from Jerusalem. So Acts is like a sample of what happened. It's not the whole story. So we're going to read that sample. We're going to study that sample, recognizing that, in a way, Acts is still being written today. Because as you follow Jesus and you take his light with you into the places that you go, you're one of those witnesses going to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You're one of those people who's been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so any power that we'll read about in the weeks ahead, that Peter had or Philip had or John had, that same power is the power that the Holy Spirit gives to you. And so as you move forward into this world, you recognize every part of the recipe of what it would take to change the world is still baking inside of you. Uh, you have the opportunity to live a Book of Acts type of a life. So this isn't detached from us, this isn't far away, this is actually who we're made to be as Jesus followers. If you say, yes, I believe, and you say, yes, I'm ready to go for the gospel, uh, you'll be led right into your own chapter of the book of Acts. Okay? So let's dive in a little bit from there and think about Acts as a book. First of all, um, if you think about where the storyline starts, you would know, say, well, it can you know, start at the resurrection, Jesus rises from the dead. There's a few people who know about that. There's a few people who now recognize that the biggest miracle of all time has happened, and now the power of God is available. It starts with a handful of mostly teenagers and a few young adults. If you look at the age of the disciples when they received the Great Commission, you say, wow, as, as much as it would seem strange to us, when Jesus gave this world-changing mission to a group of people, he didn't give it to the wise and learned. He didn't give it to the people with vast experience or wealth. He literally gave it to a group of teenagers uh, and a few 20-somethings. And those people carried the gospel forward. Okay, it started in what the Romans would have considered kind of a backwards province. Like when we read through history from our perspective, it feels like Jerusalem and Israel are really key players in the big story, right? Because they obviously are. But the Romans didn't know that. To the Romans, that, that whole area was just kind of a troublemaking area where there were occasionally rebellions they had to put down. In, in their world, the center of gravity was all around Rome and all around the, 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 center, the center of the empire of that time. And so this would just be some rebels out in the desert, kind of a province that most people wouldn't even know where that is. Um, that's where this is starting, this movement. And then it was under the threat of extinction. Obviously, at the cross of Christ, that was what they were trying to do, is extinguish it. Uh, that's what they were trying to do with the lies they were telling after Jesus rose from the dead to try to dissuade people from following him. That's what some of the early persecutions that we'll read about in the book of Acts were aimed at doing. They weren't trying to just pressure the church into compliance or silence. They were trying to end it so that it wouldn't threaten them anymore. So that's, where, that's what you have. You have a group of teens in a somewhat forgotten, inconsequential province of the world with all the guns aimed against them, politically and religiously, that's you start the book of Acts right there. 
By the time we get to Acts 28, here's where the story will take us. Thousands of multiplying disciples are spreading across the whole world. Everywhere, including Rome, has now been saturated with Christians. There are Christians finding their way even into Caesar's courts. There are Christians that have, that have traveled the roads of the Roman Empire and are now starting to spread their faith everywhere they go. Uh, and ultimately, this Christian movement is disrupting everything. And that's one of the reasons the persecutions started coming heavier and heavier, because the emperors of Rome, the Caesars, were starting to realize that even though at that time there was no army on the world, in the world that could threaten them, that somehow this movement of loving Christians was the greatest threat they faced, which is why they had to launch terrifying persecutions against the church, trying to wipe it out. Um, and all that did was accelerate the movement of the Spirit. Okay, so this is all in the book of Acts. It's an exciting book to study and read. Okay, so how should we think of it as we approach it? Thinking of a few, few different frames in our minds that might help us as we lean toward this book. And I'd encourage you, you know, obviously come every Sunday and you'll, we'll keep walking through it, but I would encourage you to read this book on your own. Um, study it out and that there's going to be so much here that we can learn from. Uh, but here, here are a couple different frames you might put on what are we about to start. Well, one is we're about to start reading a 30-year adventure story that includes death and life and intrigue, miracles, shipwrecks, snakes, just you name it. Anything. I mean, this is a high-action book. Okay, we're also about to read the roots of everything we're doing now. So you say, why are we meeting here on Sunday morning? Why are we worshiping Jesus together? Why are we out on mission? What, what are we all about as a church? The roots of everything that we are today we're going to read about the first generation of that in the book of Acts. Okay, we're going to read about multiplication from local to global. And so what's amazing about the book of Acts is that it's not really about just a, you know, one central superstar character. It's actually about how the gospel started to spread through average people. And you had some key leaders that were drivers for that. But at the end of the day, the reason the gospel spread so quickly was because people took ownership of the gospel and they started spreading it to their friends and neighbors. And then some of them would feel the call to go across a city or across a province or lay everything down and start traveling to spread gospel seeds even further. Okay, and in that we find in the book of Acts a blueprint for Christian action in any century uh, where you, you enter into a place and you proclaim the truth and you love people and you bring healing, but sometimes you also face pressure wherever you go. And that's, that was true in the first century, it's still true today. That's still our mission. When I think about the book of Acts, I think, you know, that what we're kind of looking at it from a human perspective, if you think about it from a little bit more of a theological perspective, what's happening is the Holy Spirit is being unleashed. Jesus had said, when I go, I'm going to send you another counselor. I'm going to send you power. I'm going to send you the Spirit who will guide you into the truth, who will be with you and who will empower you. So the book of Acts is literally the story of that happening. It's the start of the church. And I believe as we turn the pages of this book, what we'll find are examples of what the Holy Spirit can do within you. Not just in the Christians of the past, not just in the people who were officially the first apostles, uh, but in you. So you, you read back into Acts and you realize that 
sometimes they would be on trial and they would be supernaturally given the words to say. Could that happen to you? Absolutely. Or, or, or you recognize that they would go into a town that had no context to believe in God's power and they would pray for healing and someone would be healed miraculously. Could that happen for you? Of course. These are people who are just, they're walking in the the ordinary lives that they have, uh, but suddenly there's this X factor that's brought to bear. There's this new power that means that every day that they're alive, every time they open their mouth, it's like there's this expectation that something special could happen beyond the norms. So, you know, in the book of Acts, do we see them making plans and having human strategy? Sure, there's, there's elements of that. We'll find it as we go. But that wasn't the, those weren't the headlines that, you know, they, they set a target and then they hit the target. Um, the headlines were they were on mission, they were doing their job, and then the Holy Spirit broke through and did something bigger or differently than anyone would have expected or ever planned for. Uh, that's what's exciting about reading this, is it's not just about the acts of the apostles as they took action. It's really about the acts of the Holy Spirit as he worked through them and all the followers of Jesus to change the world. Okay, so there's lots of fun to be had as we study all of this. So I want you to look back at the first section here, and I just want to highlight a couple notes by way of brief introduction before we conclude today, uh, just to kind of whet our appetite for what is coming starting next week. So in my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. In God's purpose, he decided to use the apostles and those who would believe as the mechanism through which the whole world would receive the good news. I mean, Jesus could have directly done it, right? We say, we could look back and say, well, why didn't he just appear to every community? Or why didn't he just start a 2,000-year tour of planet Earth and just visit everybody and say, here, here I am? Uh, no, for in God's purposes, he decided to use the disciples as a multiplier of movement that ultimately would bring the whole world to faith. He gives evidences to them that he's really alive. I think that's interesting. It's kind of a side note to our discussion this morning, but notice that he was was eating with them. He was sitting with them and saying, hey, I'm really here. You're not hallucinating. Um, I'm here and something's changed and I'm about to empower you in a way you don't expect. So then we get to verse six, which I think is really curious because if you think about when the disciples signed up, and really not even just the disciples that we know their names, like Matthew or John, but Really, when anyone was following Jesus in his ministry, they had two narratives in their brain. One narrative was, I'm seeing miracles and I'm hearing teaching that is otherworldly, that's transcendent, that I want to know more about this person. But the other thing that was going on were all of these prophecies and hopes that they had among the Jewish people of some sort of political rescue. And so they were expecting that the Messiah would come and defeat Rome and set Israel up as the global superpower, right? So, they, so now Jesus has risen from the dead. So their hopes are rising because they're thinking, wow, this really is the ultimate superpower. Um, nothing can contend with that. So they ask a pretty honest question in verse 6. They say, Lord, 
has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And in that moment, they're asking a very earthy question. Right? They're saying, hey, like the kingdom of David and Solomon, the, the kingdom we've always dreamed of, the kingdom the prophets talked about, is this it? Like, we're ready. Are you about to do it? And Jesus turns their hearts in a totally different direction because even that question missed the whole point of why Jesus died and rose again. He wasn't there to be a political savior. He wasn't there to make sure that the whole Roman Supreme Court would rule the right direction for Christian values. Uh, he wasn't there to try to get the next legislator elected that might tip the scales of law over in Rome or in Jerusalem. Jesus was there to literally transform people's lives. So he was, going to, he was going to approach the challenges of the world on a whole different level than most people would ever think. He said, you know what? It's up to the Father when he decides to do all of that. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you the power of the Holy Spirit and you're going to be my witnesses everywhere you go. And as Jesus gave them that commission, as he handed them that role to not just be advocates or politicians or just rooting from the sidelines, no, he said, I'm going to put you on the front lines, not of an earthly kingdom that will grow, but of, a, of an eternal kingdom that will grow. So then chapter 1, verse 8, when he says, I'm, I want you to tell people about me everywhere. You're going to go be my witnesses wherever you end up. Jerusalem, that's where they were right then. But then Judea and Samaria. So if you were thinking of this on a map, uh, that would be almost like the province or state that they were in, uh, in the state next door. And then to the ends of the world, to the ends of the earth. That anywhere in the world is eventually going to be exposed to the Holy Spirit's power because of you. You're going to be my witness and give testimony to all of this. And then after saying this, it says he was taken up. And so you can imagine these guys um, scratching their heads a little bit, shocked, surprised. You know, it's a kind of a new thing. I mean, they've seen a lot of amazing things, but now they just watch Jesus go up into the sky. To where? How? In what way? They're scratching their heads. They're looking up at the clouds. And that's when these two angels appear and say, just so you know, he's coming back the same way you just saw him go. He's, he's going to come back down. But right now, didn't, didn't he give you a direction? Like, should you just be standing here looking at the sky? No, there's a, there's a mission to fulfill. There's something to go do. Go to Jerusalem. Go get ready to receive the Spirit's power, just like Jesus said. And from there, uh, as they did, we'll read how everything started to change how people who were just a few days before this or a few weeks before this, timid and worried and even like Peter denying that they even knew about Jesus, we're going to see how those people were transformed into bold witnesses who would give testimony to the power of Jesus everywhere they went. So you put them in front of a judge or a Sanhedrin or a tribunal somewhere, they would speak eloquently for the gospel. You put them in front of a group of philosophers or thinkers, you take them to the street, to somebody who's poor and illiterate, wherever they would go, they would be testifying about the power of Jesus. And in every one of those contexts, the Holy Spirit would empower what they would do and things would start to change. And you and I can live the same kind of story today. So Acts isn't finished. You are in the current chapter. So we get to chapter 28 and 
I wouldn't say it's disappointing, but it's a little bit of a cliffhanger. It's just all this stuff's happening, and then says, and, and then Paul's in house arrest, and he keeps proclaiming the gospel. And you go, wait, there's got, there's got to be more to the story there. And there is. You're living it. So we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll walk through it. Uh, here's my challenge for you today. You and I must meet the challenges of our time just like the first Christians did in theirs. So you look around and you say, well, yeah, there's challenges everywhere. And you could probably get wrapped into 24-hour news and you could be depressed about those challenges every day. You could get angry and you get frustrated and feel like there's no hope. But if you have the power of the Holy Spirit in you, your story is not that different than the people in the book of Acts. Can you imagine if they, up on that hilltop, they get the Great Commission, Jesus says he's going to empower them. If they had started going, well, wait a minute, I'm, I'm a 19-year-old kid from Galilee. How, how am I supposed to go up against the Roman Empire? Well, they weren't in their own strength, but through the Holy Spirit, they ultimately did prevail over that empire and changed the course of history. So as we look at problems that feel insurmountable in our time, we don't look at them with depression or sadness or resignation. Instead, we say, you know what? This is exactly why we're here. In the 21st century, we need a Book of Acts movement just like they needed that in the first century. So here's the question that we're going to ask this morning in prayer and then throughout the course of this series that we'll keep asking. We'll read about what the Holy Spirit did through others, through our ancestors in faith. But what we're really interested in is, okay, that's what you did then. Lord, what do you want to do now? So Holy Spirit, what do you want to do within me? So would you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment? We want to pray and commit this series to the Lord and more than just the series, we want to commit ourselves. Say, Lord, on the basis of all the power that you've given us, that Jesus came to bring, we're now ready to step forward into our time and bring with us your good news and the power of the Holy Spirit into the things that we do. So Lord, right now we want to pray and ask this question, what do you want to do within us? Lord, would you help us to rise above the chatter and confusion of this world and see that we're a part of something that transcends it. Lord, you've invited us into this. We didn't deserve to be a part of it, but you've brought us in and now we're here thinking about what your power could accomplish, recognizing that you handed us power and told us to be witnesses wherever we would go. So where do you want us to go? What do you want us to do? Lord, tomorrow, or even this afternoon, who do you want us to talk to in the name of Jesus? Who do you want us to pray for or pray over for your power to be unleashed? Lord, what do you want us to seek? What do you want us to give our thoughts to, our attention to? Do you want us to travel? Do you want us to 
stay put? Do you want us to open our mouths? Do you want us to stay silent? Lord, our lives are yours, and now your Holy Spirit is living inside of us. And so where do you want to take us from here? Lord, where do you want to take me from here? For just a moment, I'd like you in the quietness of your heart to imagine what your day tomorrow is likely going to look like. So picture the places that you'll go and the people that you'll probably see in those places. Now, what we're imagining right now is our plan, our assumptions. But now I want you to imagine what might happen if the Holy Spirit is at work within you as you go, wherever you go. So what does it mean not to be a worker at your job, but to be a spirit-empowered witness for the gospel at your job? What does it mean to work in your home, not just based on the list of things that have to be done there, but based on a life of mission dedicated to the glory of God? empowered by the Holy Spirit. What will it mean for some of you students to walk into the door of your elementary school or middle school or high school, not as just one more student trying to pass a class or fit in with the crowd, but as a spirit-empowered testimony, as a disciple, as someone on mission, for eternity. Lord, you've placed all of us in the situations that we are in today. You've given us opportunities that surround us. I pray that we would keep moving forward in faith, that we would not be discouraged by the darkness that's around us, but rather recognize that's exactly why we're here, and that's what you want us to confront. Lord, you've put light within us. You've given us purpose and hope, given us resurrection power. We're looking forward to taking that out with us wherever we go. And we're looking forward to studying through the book of Acts, that it would encourage us seeing in the lives of people long ago how you were at work, and then expecting you to work in this time through us today. In Jesus' name we pray all this. Amen. All right, God bless you as you go. We'll see you next week.